everybody, so welcome to episode, I believe it's five now, of Clinical Scoop. We're talking right now, uh, we've got Monica. I'm going to go around and let everyone introduce themselves, but I'm Dan, and we're going to be talking about some coronavirus studies, because that's obviously what's going on right now in the world. So I'm Dan Sfera. We're going to be talking about four of these studies, and let's just go around and everyone introduce yourself, please. My name is Monica Cuitiva. And uh, yeah, we, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 today, but today is more like a preventive kind of studies, and it's related more for the people that are in high risk, uh, healthcare, uh, healthcare workers. I'm Dr. Adizarli. I'm an uh, internal medicine hematologist oncologist. I'll be in the discussion for COVID-19 uh, healthcare preventive uh, studies. Dr. Ricarte. I'm Dr. Juan Carlos Ricaurte, infectious disease specialist uh, in private practice, and uh, I joined the meeting today. Thank Welcome, you. everybody. <laughs> so we go through these studies, and we're going to get practical and talk from a perspective of a physician, from the, the science behind the study, the design, and then we're going to talk about the inclusion-exclusion criteria and what we think about the study as research sites. Because a lot of doctors don't, don't realize that they can actually do research. They can do their own research if they wanted to. They can have their own site. And so we're going to show you how with these studies, even though uh, some of these are going to be preventative, uh, like this one for healthcare worker, this one could be like an outpatient study. Some of them are inpatient studies. They're a little bit more difficult to be a clinic, a research clinic. but. We're still going to talk about how practical it is. So let's go through it. Uh, this first one on my screen, hydroxychloroquine as chemo prevention for COVID-19 for high-risk healthcare workers, uh, sponsored by Hackensack Meridian Health. By the way, there's a lot of these studies right now. So I know many clinics that are doing this type of study, not this one in particular, but similar to this. This one's looking for 44 patients. Um, and it's only going to be done at one location. Uh, so what is this one, Dr. Al? What, what's the interesting about this one, you think? Actually, I've been, I've been like uh, phone tagging with Dr. Ricarte since the morning about this phase two trial for uh, chemo preventive for hydroxychloroquine uh, for healthcare workers. And Dr. Ricarte does not agree with me at all on the bringing up this study because uh, why Dr. Ricarte? Well, um, what I was telling Dr. Yassarli uh, before the meeting is that uh, hydroxychloroquine um, is being studied extensively. Um, and unfortunately, all the studies done in for in prophylaxis or treatment, uh, they have been negative. Uh, indeed, um, they, I think it was the ANH uh, stopped the study uh, that they were doing because they thought it was not going to be helpful at all. We're getting all the data from all over the world that all the studies uh, did not show any benefit of using hydroxychloroquine. So uh, I don't think it's been studied, it's particularly in healthcare workers, but um, uh, maybe some of them were included in the studies that have been done for prophylaxis and treatment and uh, maybe post-exposure as well. And um, so I think it has gotten um, uh, the enthusiasm of uh, the 
ID community in uh, uh, doing research with hydroxychloroquine uh, has decreased extensively. I, I stopped using it uh, like two months ago. I don't use it anymore with my patients in the, in the hospital. So uh, that's, um, I don't think a lot of people will be enthusiastic about uh, doing trials with uh, hydroxychloroquine. Dr. Al, what do you think? I, 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 you know, I, I would not disagree with Dr. Ricardo in regard of the finding and everything about lack of the efficacy of uh, hydroxychloroquine as a preventive for uh, COVID-19. But uh, nevertheless, we, we know that hydroxychloroquine uh, have some antiviral effect and uh, most probably the design of this study can find this uh, connection because it is in the different setting of the other uh, study or the study that was published in New England Journal of Medicine, the one that Dr. Juan Ricarte was mentioning. And that one was uh, mainly about, uh, they started it after four days. But this one, the starting it is directly after any exposure or like, so uh, it could be like at the end, uh, it's still a clinical trial. It may show no benefit or no effective. It may be the design of this study will be showing different issue, but I agree with Dr. Ricardo 100%. So far, whatever we have information is not uh, showing effect of uh, hydroxychloroquine in COVID-19 for prevention. Mm -hmm. And so we've got the, let's see, the primary outcome measures. That's not so interesting. The inclusion exclusion criteria. So uh, basically any any age above 18, um, able to sign an informed consent, considered high risk healthcare providers in a hospital setting with active exposure to COVID-19 infection. So I don't know how they're going to prove this. I mean, anybody in the hospital, I guess, would qualify. Well, I mean, uh, maybe this is a, a, like a healthcare worker that's working, nurses or doctors that's really in uh, units that have COVID-19, like intensive care unit or COVID-19 unit, if there is anyone, is, any of the unit is already assigned for, in some hospitals, they assign special units for COVID-19 patients. Oh yeah, they explain it here. High-risk healthcare providers are defined as those actively working during the study duration in the ER department uh, and in the intensive care setting. Okay, so that makes more sense. It's actually not so easy to enroll these patients because you they have to be basically employees of your hospital. So this, this makes sense why they're doing this study. Uh, this is probably the hospital. The sponsor is the hospital, or at least is part of the hospital group where these workers are. So they're not doing, this is not like a regular study where you're recruiting patients just from the public. Uh, these are gonna be people you know that you're putting in the study uh, from my experiences because this is only from one site. The 44 patients, only one location. So, I mean, they're not gonna get pa patients from anywhere else other than from their own hospital. So. But there are many studies like this one, similar design, uh, that are enrolling any healthcare workers, basically, that are at risk. So that would be an easy study to enroll for, I think. We know, Dr. Al, you and I know somebody from the Site Owner Academy who's doing a similar study to this. Yeah, you know, he was there. So anything yeah, 
But this is mainly preventive, no? Prophylaxis mainly, to prevent, yes, you're right, Monica. Yeah, so is that other one. So there's a lot of studies like this one with healthcare workers, you know, that's prophylactic. Um, and so those ones would be easier, but if this one, obviously, if you're a research clinic and you want to join a study, this is not going to be the one you're going to get. They only have one location, okay? And the sponsor is the same as the site. If you look here, sponsor, Hackensack Meridian Health, the site is the same thing. So they're just enrolling their own employees. So this one's good. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about this one? Not my, on my side, Dr. Ricarte, anything to add for this? No. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Next. The next one, let's see here. Which one is this? Uh, this one, Max COVID-19 study. So this one, in view of increasing cases in EF COVID in India, uh, and with the possibility of the exponential rise of the cases this study has been designed to collect data of healthcare workers. See, there's another one, healthcare workers of Max Hospital and the general population. So uh, this is similar to that one, except they're conducting their online questionnaires through email and WhatsApp. So this one, 10,000 participants from Max, from one hospital or locations. I don't know. This one. Uh, I don't think it's from one hospital. It's going to take them forever to do it. <laughs> yeah, they want 10,000 10, patients. I guess if we have more questions, we can email uh, Sujit and maybe they give us more info about this one. But this is just looks like questionnaires. It doesn't look like uh, this is just observational. So maybe that's a wrong study. Let's look at this one. Chemo prophylaxis of SARS-CoV-2 and exposed healthcare workers. Uh, so here's another one. Okay, this one's for exposed healthcare workers. Oh, so what do you think about this one, Dr. L? I, this is also using uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, compared to the other antiretroviral medication, which is Dr. Ricardo can let us know about it much better because this is his specialty in infectious disease. Yeah, perfect. Well, um, I think these studies were designed, uh, probably the ideas came early in the pandemic when uh, lopinavir, which is Calitra, was being considered um, and um, also hydroxychloroquine. Um, they are not being used anymore, again, uh, the data on Calitra we don't have that much data with Calitra as we have with hydroxychloroquine, but the data is also negative. Indeed, it's been dropped from uh, from the protocols. Um, so Calitra is not being the lopinavir is not being used anymore in hydroxychloroquine either. So I think this is the design of these studies were done early in the pandemic when we didn't have. Um, we thought that they could work, but uh, the the data has been. Uh, as being actually negative uh, uh, for both. Interesting, yeah. What are they showing as far as the studies that have been done? Uh, no, no. Uh, there was a study also on Calitra, it was reported in the New England Journal. It came out like two months ago. 
that uh, showed no efficacy and that's why it was dropped and so we never really got to use it here uh, some people started using a little bit in the when the first couple of weeks of the pandemic but then after that we just dropped it uh, i didn't get to use it because the study came out before i saw patients with covid and i didn't use it i use uh, hydroxychloroquine extensively but then uh, when all the studies show negative uh, results uh, i stopped so both both are really pretty much dead for for covid isn't it interesting dr ricardo to have this study still recruiting even the data is negative which one the this study for hydroxychloroquine and for uh, anti other antiretroviral that did that show any uh, any effect on these patients to see them still recruiting patients because uh, this is the third day of the of the third day of the study this one was april 14 mid april like right um uh, maybe they opened them then uh, the idea was i guess sometimes uh, you have to wait for approval the committee meets and but uh, we quickly stopped using calitra uh, and nobody's using it uh, anymore a few people use it in the beginning but not anymore yeah, and interesting. Here, the, here it says active, not recruiting. So I don't know if they, uh, you know, stopped enrollment because of uh, the, yeah, I, th I think they did on June 23rd. Oh, oh no, that's the last update, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. But I, I think they, well, stopped, they, they already stopped. Yeah, they changed it here to active, not recruiting. But uh, let's see here. Yeah, so maybe they changed the, you know, they stopped enrollment actually because of the results are not, not promising. Uh, so what, and that one's being done in France too. So then the final study, we have another one for healthcare workers. That's the theme for this. Uh, uh, for but this. excuse me, Dan, before we go to the next one, yeah. you said that one is done in France. So if yeah. it's done in, in France, how come it's published under the clinicaltrial.gov uh, in the United States? Oh, they'll publish it. So they'll they'll publish them even if they're done in other countries. Uh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah clinical trial.gov will have, it's pretty much worldwide, but you know, it's a lot of, obviously in the United States it's mandatory, but in if you're a foreign sponsor and you're using an, any site in the US, it's also mandatory. But in this case, they're not. They're using all sites in France. And uh, they still posted it. They probably wanted to post it for, uh, maybe they get some incentive to post it. Um, uh, because this looks like a hospital academic institution. Institute uh, Pasteur. Pasteur. Yeah, so they probably get some incentives to posting on, on here. Interesting, thank you. That's all my question. Yeah, they probably want like a um, publicity, you know, about uh, to raise raise awareness around this. And this last one, so this one is being done. Let's see where it's being done first before we. Get I to think it. that one is overseas, true. No, oh, this one's on. right here. Oh no, it's here, uh, United States. The good old United States. So we have three <laughs> sites. This one looks like a study that any research site who has access to this patient can do because these are 
private clinics. Okay, you can tell. You can even call them if you want. They have the phone numbers here. And then the sponsor um, from Romark.com. Okay, so this one, Dr. Al curated this one for us. So basically, 800, 800 participants, um, safety and efficacy of nitazoxandine, NTZ, for post-exposure prophylaxis of COVID-19 and other viral respiratory illnesses in healthcare workers. So we'll get to the uh, inclusion exclusion, but Dr. Ricardo, what do you think about this kind of study? Well, uh, we don't have much data on nitazoxandine, uh, which is the Alinea, that's the name, the commercial, let's call it Alinea. We don't have much data on Alinea and COVID. Um, uh, there's reports from other countries, from I think uh, like Middle East or about the use, uh, but uh, in the U.S. we don't have anything. It hasn't, it hasn't been, it hasn't been studied. Uh, and uh, I don't think it has been determined that it doesn't work, like with Calitra or hydroxychloroquine. Um, so, but uh, um, I mean, I think it's probably worth doing a study because maybe the enthusiasm hasn't been uh, significant and people have not studied uh, the drug or, or, or started recruiting for, 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 for to study the drug for in COVID. But we don't have, as far as I know, as far as I remember, we don't have studies that show that it doesn't work um, so it could be it could be possible yeah and this study started around the same time as uh, uh as the previous studies that we saw the chloroxychloroquine uh, yeah that data came around the in the beginning yes um um i know some because i, I talked to people from i have uh, a friend from Colombia, from friends from other places, and some countries they use uh, NTC as part of their protocol. Uh, but again, it, that's probably because they don't have access to the drugs that we use here. That we know they have uh, um, effect, positive effect against the, the, the virus. So they use um, ivermectin. They use uh, NTC, they use uh, some other stuff, but um, I don't think has been proven conclusively that it works or that it doesn't. Yeah, this one I'm probably most interested in because as a, a research site owner, I mean, myself, Monica, Dr. Al, you know, this is one that I mean, you, Dr. Al, your site can do this. You know, we were talking yesterday about this. So any healthcare workers at increased risk for occupational exposure, basically anyone that provides healthcare to patients and typically positions themselves within six feet of patients. Um, so emergency department, ICU, COVID care unit, walk-in clinic, paramedic or first responder. Okay, so this is, Basically, any healthcare worker really that's in a high contact area, which, you know, this is how they defined it, but I'm sure they would allow 
walk-in clinics here that you can consider that like outpatient clinic as well, no? Hello? Yes. Oh, so walk-in clinic, is that would be considered outpatient clinic? Yes, outpatient yes. clinic for... Yeah. Okay, yeah. So see, this is a study anybody can do. Like even Dr. Al, we were talking yesterday about studies like this. So here we go. We can contact, you know, Matthew and tell him that, it, I mean, I'm sure they're going to have a hard time getting, uh, let's see. 800 many, patients. 800 patients from three sites, you know. So, I mean, that's a lot of patients per site. So in this case, you know, the... Inclusion criteria is really simple, okay? Uh, this is probably the hardest part of the inclusion criteria, is occupational exposure to a person infected with COVID uh, within seven days prior to enrollment. So, I mean, I don't know how you can prove this. You know, how do you okay, know in the you unit. Maybe yeah, working like in the unit. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think just being in uh, high-risk uh, atmosphere, such as intensive care unit or emergency room, I like this. This is like a lot of uh, time the nurses and the physicians, they go in contact with these patients, okay, on a daily basis, not within seven days. On a daily basis, they see these kind of conditions. That's why when you go to the intensive care unit uh, or to the high-risk clinic or uh, the you see the healthcare worker already prepared for that and they wear their N95 and they're uh, set up for these kind of patients directly. Mm -hmm. And then exclusion criteria, so subjects with the indirect occupational exposure are not meeting the definition of healthcare worker and then you know they're going to start ruling out people with heart, lung, neurological diseases um, a history of COVID-19 or if you have the antibody. Uh, so that's pretty simple, uh, IE criteria here for a study. And I think this would be a, a relatively simple study to enroll patients. Uh, what do you think, Monica, about this study? Yeah, I think it seems pretty easy. Uh, the only thing is, can, can you go up a little bit then? Uh, no, um, in the inclusion criteria. Yeah, no, I think it's, 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 it's an easy kind of a study to get patients for. I mean, for example, us that we have, we work pretty much in front of uh, a college, uh, hospital. It will be, I mean, Kind yeah. of easy to get patients for this, and it's, and and I think this one is also prophylactic, uh, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. So, so this would be for everything is prophylactic today for healthcare. Yeah, workers. yeah, eight hundred patients. I mean, they they totally need an, uh, much more sites because just with three sites, they are not going to accomplish that number so easy, even if they are hospitals. <laughs> so one of you guys email Matthew and tell him you want to do this study. <laughs> and that would be a good way to... Uh, I'm actually going to do that. <laughs> Not just for us, but for everybody. For anybody watching. I mean, this is the kind of opportunities. See, this is what we do this show. 
we talk, we bring on experts to talk about the science, and then we talk about the research and the practical aspects of being able to do this study if you had your own clinic or even if you're in a hospital in this case, you know, like I know a lot of people, Dr. Al and Dr. Riccardi, that are hospital directors and the hospital is asking them to bring studies like this to them, you know, like prophylactics studies for their staff. So they want these kind of studies. Uh, what do you think? What have been your experiences with these kind of studies from the hospitals? Well, I, I haven't participated personally. I have not. Are, are, are any hospitals asking you for, like, are, are, are interested in these type of studies that you've heard? Mm, no, I, I haven't heard. Yeah, mainly in community hospitals, uh, usually you don't find this kind of interest. Mainly in uh, maybe university hospital or tertiary care centers, they're looking for this kind of like uh, here in the area, you know, uh, USC or UCLA or UCI, they're looking for the, these kind of studies. Even um, surprisingly, I don't see any name for them in these uh, kind of studies, yeah. I think. None of these are hospitals. That's the thing no. about these sites. You know, these Only are, like sites. Yeah, these are private outpatient sites. So, you know, this is like a perfect kind of study that we're looking for. This would be when we're looking for studies on clinicaltrials.gov for us that watch these shows and listen to this podcast. This is the kind of study that you would want. So, yeah, I mean, I any closing, closing thoughts on any of these studies or where we are headed right now with COVID? treatment, both Dr. Riccardi, Monica, Dr. Al, what are you guys thinking about this? I think Dr. Riccardi, he's the expert in this thing. He can tell us about what he's doing these days about it. So this is uh, what NTC post-exposure prophylaxis, no? With, within seven days of uh, an exposure. Mm -hmm. But the exposure is considered what, just being close to a patient? Yeah, if you use all the PPE, it's not clear. I mean, you know, yeah, I guess it's going to be self-reported by the healthcare workers. You know, were you exposed to anybody that may have had COVID? I mean, anybody in these units is going to say yes, and uh, I guess you, you're, you know, you you qualify in that case. Mm hmm. Uh, well, yeah, maybe. Um, If, if, if somebody offered you this study, like to, work, to do it in your clinic or in the area that, will you take it, Dr. Ricarte? Will you do this study? If somebody what? If somebody offered you this study to do it in your uh, facility, wherever it is, hospital or clinic or walk in a clinic that you go and visit, do you think it will be appropriate for you to do it? Um... Well, uh, I mean, it depends on how much paperwork and how much uh, involvement uh, is necessary, uh, how much time needs to be uh, devoted for, for, for this. Okay, so maybe like the main obstacle for you is the time and preparing for the study. If you have somebody yes. to prepare for you and get it ready and everything, it is feasible to be done in your facility. Um, potentially, yeah, potentially. Yeah. And mainly now when you, when you are 
what you doing for this kind of a patient or patients who you think they get exposed to the COVID-19 or they have higher risk of infection with COVID-19, what do you think? How do you direct their care? How do you do for them? Uh, no, um, for even to treat uh, some patient, no, no specific treatment, only like zinc, vitamin C, um, and uh, that's about it. But uh, because nothing has been proven to, to be uh, efficacious against uh, COVID. Uh, uh, oral, something oral that, that, that can be used as a patient. So, um, again, um, I'm from Colombia, so I, I, I have a chat with the Colombian doctors uh, from my, uh, my year and ID doctors, and they're using ivermectin uh, because there's data that indicates that suppress the virus, but the problem is. Uh, for example, ivermectin is that uh, the levels that the in vitro works, it has activity, like uh, NTC has also shown activity, but the levels that they use in the lab to suppress the virus is hard to achieve when you take the, the dose that we use in humans. So that's, the, that's why it hasn't been so popular here. Uh, John, Johns Hopkins started, started last month in June on uh, ivermectin to see whether it has some activity or not. And also there are ideas to try to improve the drug, the presentation to facilitate the penetration to the cell, so to achieve higher levels. Uh, but the current uh, uh, idea is that the presentation that we have now doesn't uh, give us the levels in vivo that we need to suppress the virus. So it works for, uh, a, it has activity in vitro against uh, a, um, COVID and also against Zika, against chikungunya, against even HIV has activity, but it doesn't, when it, it started having done before in viruses and when you use it in, in humans, it doesn't work for other viruses because of that issue, it doesn't suppress the virus. So that's what it is being used a lot in Colombia, for example, ivermectin for patients that are at home, even they're using it for prophylaxis, but they just do it uh, on their own pretty much. Um, but to treat uh, some patients, they, they, they use it, uh, but there's there's no data that it shows that it works. Uh, so John Hopkins, as I said, they started study last month. Let's see what, what it shows. Uh, I don't know what the role is doing, is they enrolling people or not, but I'm sure they would find uh, uh, people because it, uh, it's the only thing really, because we don't have anything for oral treatment while the patient is at home. We don't have anything other than zinc and vitamin C, D, etc. So Dr. Kathy, high risk patient who get exposed for COVID-19, they come to you, what's your advice for them? Um, the advice is uh, stay home and, and if you de develop, uh, get a pulse oximeter and you develop symptoms, rush to the hospital. And the symptoms you consider as temperature, cough and high temperature? Well, uh, basically I mean, uh, hypoxia. That, that, that's what uh, decides, makes sense when the patient stays home because there is the need for oxygen. If the patient can be home, even they have fever, but any symptoms at home are okay. 
except if they need oxygen. So uh, then they need to come to the hospital because they can't get oxygen at home. Um, and, and getting outpatient oxygen is not enough because you don't know, as you know, COVID causes hypercoagulability and it causes blood clots. So we don't know if the shortness of breath, the hypoxia is coming from the viral pneumonia or from clots in the lungs. And then they will need to go, we have to check the timer, give an oxygen anticoagulation, that they, we can do that at home. So if the patient has shortness of breath, hypoxia to the hospital. That's, that's the, the decision to hospitalize. Or obviously they have a stroke and infarct, and obviously, yeah. No, we're not gonna get there. <laughs> no, it, it happens, it happens. Yep. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Ricardo, for coming on, and Dr. Al Jazirely, uh, aka Dr. Al, for being a co-host, and Monica for uh, doing all the work to put this together. And uh, you know, this is the kind of study that last one. This is the us that are in this business, in this industry, private clinics. That's the kind of study. There's plenty of those out there. These are just four that Dr. Al curated. There's hundreds of thousands on clinicaltrials.gov, uh, total studies, not coronavirus. Coronavirus studies, there's probably like a thousand right now that I checked on clinicaltrials.gov that are recruiting. So there's a lot of opportunities out there, guys, for anybody watching, listening. Um, as you can see, some of the studies not that difficult to do as far as inclusion, exclusion criteria. And then the science, you know, that's for the doctors to decide if that's something they're comfortable doing, just like Dr. Riccardi, if he were to do that study or Dr. Al, you know, that's up to them. But, uh, you know, it's definitely an interesting field to be a part of. And it's definitely, um, as far as the work is concerned, you know, with our PI Academy, uh, it, it's relatively simple to be trained on how to handle the paperwork or hire the staff uh, to do the paperwork for you. They're called clinical research coordinators and Monica is expert at training these people. Yeah, hello, Chris. Monica. Oh, Chris, <laughs> you joined right when we're leaving. Great job. Do <laughs> 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 you wanna add anything to this? Uh, all I know is this was a conversation about COVID. That's what was all I gathered. It was interesting. You're going to watch the replay. Uh, but thank you very much, Chris, for joining, and Dr. Riccardi, and Dr. Al, and Monica, and everybody for watching and listening. And we'll catch you all later. Thank uh, you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.